Welcome to Oncopharm. I'm your host, John Bazaar. I am a professor of pharmacy practice at the supporting sponsor of Oncopharm, uh, East, East Tennessee State University's Bill Gatt College of Pharmacy. Uh, it is um, uh, potentially a dark day uh, in world history, uh, February 24th, uh, 2022. Um, a lot of stuff going on in the world with the invasion of Ukraine. So uh, if you're like me, kind of hard to focus on the task at hand. So hopefully... Uh, you know, this, this episode will uh, save you some time catching up on last week's ASCO Genitourinary Symposium, uh, which uh, is a, one of the meetings ASCO does focusing on, on prostate, bladder, kidney cancer, testicular cancer. Uh, we're going to focus really just on prostate cancer because those were the most um, sizable updates uh, from last week's uh, symposium. So I'm first going to uh, start with the, uh, the Arison study which is uh, published in tandem last week in the New England Journal of Medicine, uh, darolutamide uh, and survival in metastatic hormone-sensitive prostate cancer. Darolutamide is nubeca. There's a Q in there without a U, so I don't know how to pronounce that. Um, but that's what we're looking at. So before we go into that, a little bit of context. If we go back to uh, you know, the, the early 2000s for, for prostate cancer, uh, we knew that androgen deprivation therapy for metastatic prostate cancer was the most important treatment uh, we um, we knew that you needed a, an anti-androgen for the first couple weeks to kind of blunt the tumor flare along with your LHRH slash GNRH agonist. Uh, we didn't know if continuing, say, bicalutamide indefinitely actually led to overall survival benefit. If my memory serves me correctly, there were conflicting data between the bicalutamide, nilutamide, flutamide, and all the patients. Uh, that was called combined androgen blockade. Uh, and then we knew that docetaxel improved overall survival compared to mitoxantrone in people who were um, uh, castration resistant. So they, they, they progressed on their disease despite having testosterone levels less than 50 nanograms per mil. Uh, and that was kind of the standard of care for a while. You know, ADT, um, then you'd give them bicalutamide after progression. There was this really weird thing where, you know, bicalutamide, um, because of mutations to the androgen receptors would go from an antagonist to an agonist and stimulate prostate cancer growth. So sometimes you would get a response by withdrawing your anti-androgen. And then you had docetaxel, and that was about it for a long time. And then came abiraterone, which was a, uh, and still is, a, a CYP17 cytochrome inhibitor. So that uh, decreases um, the adrenal production of testosterone. The testicular production of testosterone is is suppressed by your, your luprolide therapy, your LHRH agonist. So then came abiraterone. It showed an overall survival benefit in people who had already had docetaxel. Then it showed an overall survival benefit in people who had uh, not yet had docetaxel. And then we had enzalutamide, a, a more potent androgen receptor blocker that uh, is less likely to uh, be uh, turned into an agonist with androgen receptor mutations. And again, that showed overall survival benefit um, after docetaxel and then before docetaxel. And then we had a couple other new uh, androgen receptor antagonists. And then the charted study came out um, where, you know, at the time when we had abiraterone and this enzalutamide data, we're like, is there still going to be a role for taxane in these people? Do we really just keep hitting the, the androgen receptor pathway? Uh, and charted showed an overall survival benefit in people with docetaxel upfront with ADT, uh, especially in those with high volume disease. So uh, that is visceral mets uh, uh, and or four or more bone mets um, with at least one outside the, the pelvic cavity um, or the vertebral column. So like arm, femur, those sort of mets. Um, and that's kind of where we have been for a while. Um, and it's, there's some more recent context here. 
There was Enzymet, which was published two years ago, no, three years ago, 2019 in the New England Journal of Medicine, where, where enzalutamide was added upfront with uh, standard of care for, for first-line therapy of metastatic prostate cancer. So now we're talking about hormone-sensitive or castration-sensitive prostate cancer. Now, the standard of care here, uh, you know, some like 40% got docetaxel, presumably those with high-volume disease after the chart study, 60% didn't. And overall, in the whole population of Enzymet, with enzalutamide upfront, uh, with ADT, there was an overall survival benefit, but that overall survival benefit was only seen in the subgroup analysis and those who did not get docetaxel. Um, and then we had, so that, that, that suggests that using an, an androgen receptor or androgen pathway signaling inhibitor uh, with docetaxel up front did not have benefit over, um, over not adding enzalutamide up front. And then we had um, piece one, which was an academic design study in Europe uh, that was looking at the role of radiation, which didn't ban out, and then abiraterone up front along with uh, standard of care. And in this trial, they did show an overall survival benefit adding abiraterone up front in everybody and including the subpopulation of patients who received docetaxel up front. Um, uh, and I, I will point out in this academic study, they, in the abstract, it's all we have published is an abstract from last year. I think this is at ESMO. Uh, this abstract can be found in Annals of uh, Oncology in 2021. Um, the number of people, the percentage of patients who after they progressed on either standard of care alone, which could have included docetaxel, or standard of care plus abiraterone, um, the number, the percentage of patients who received life-prolonging therapy was 88% and 78% respectively. So you know, four to five people or more got something else afterward, including this analysis. That's what you would like to see percentage-wise in your post-protocol therapies. Everybody's getting something. Uh, they even report the percentage of patients who received um, androgen signaling inhibitors, so an abiraterone uh, or enzalutamide in the respective groups. So it's in this context that we're a little bit maybe unclear, you know, if adding something upfront is beneficial. I'll also point out that we have a decent body of evidence that suggests, although not proves, that if you were to sequence antigen uh, signaling inhibitors, the optimal sequence would be abiraterone followed by enzalutamide. We have a, a trial from Lancet Oncology that I've referenced a couple times from 2019 suggesting the second progression-free survival event happens later if you sequence abiraterone first and then enzalutamide. The theory being that the antigen receptor mutations that happen uh, that confer resistance to abiraterone uh, still confer some activity to enzalutamide and that, that is not true the other way around. If you don't buy the sequencing argument, and I think that if you're gonna sequence, you do ABI uh, first and then uh, antigen receptor inhibitor like enzalutamide, you could make a really good argument that after you fail a you know, an, a, an androgen pathway inhibitor, whether it's abiraterone or Enza, that then you do cabazitaxel in people who've already received docetaxel. This is based on the CARD study, which was published in 2019 in the New England Journal of Medicine that did show uh, improved outcomes in cabazitaxel versus either abiraterone, if they had already had enzalutamide, or versus enzalutamide if they already had abiraterone. It was a nicely designed study. Now, the relative benefit of cabazitaxel in these patients in this second-line setting was was more beneficial if they received abiraterone in the second line setting. So kind of, again, suggesting that ABI followed by ENZA is the best, the best pathway. And I bring all that up because it'll be important when you consider the post-protocol therapy in Aerosins.
So if we look at Arisons uh, and talk a little bit more about darlutamide, uh, we have, uh, as far as our, our new generation anti-androgens, we have enzalutamide, which was the first one, then apalutamide. Structurally, they look very similar, very similar in their molecular formula and their molecular weight. Uh, darlutamide is a different looking molecule, a little bit smaller from a molecular weight standpoint, uh, has a lower propensity to penetrate into the CNS, so less blood-brain barrier penetration, which appears to confer uh, less CNS toxicity as well. Uh, darlutamide also has an active metabolite, and both darlutamide and its active metabolite keto Darlutamide and keto darlutamide is just darlutamide that you know is really into into meat and vegetables. Um, I think I don't know what the keto diet is. Anyway, the um, the KI fifty for these things, the potency is much more. These drugs are much darlutamide and its active metabolite much more potent than enzalutamide and apalutamide. I'll give you their KI values. Lower is better. So darlutamide eleven nanomolar. Uh, keto darlutamide 8 nanomolar, enzalutamide 86 nanomolar, and apalutamide 93 nanomolar. So there's some suggestion here that darlutamide should be the better of these drugs. Additionally, darlutamide is not an inducer of CYP34, so there is a better drug-drug interaction profile with darlutamide compared to enza or apalutamide, which are potent 3A4 inducers. Now, uh, darlutamide does inhibit uh, like breast cancer resistant protein and uh, some other transporters like uh, OP1B1, uh, which means if you give rosuvastatin with darlutamide, your concentration of rosuvastatin will go up fivefold. Ouch, save my muscles. Okay, so let's get into the study. This is a uh, you know phase three randomized controlled trial. They're all getting you know their LHRH agonists. They're getting six cycles of docetaxel up front for everybody. Uh, regardless of, you know, high volume, low volume tests, they're all getting docetaxel, uh, and then darlutamide uh, or placebo. Uh, the primary endpoint here is overall survival. So, so, okay, you know, we'll bash the pharma studies, but at least they, they have the right endpoint here, which is overall survival. Um, and, and the median follow-up here for overall survival is like 40 months. So more than three years later, we have, we have good follow-up for overall survival. Looking at our patients here, you know, the, the median age is 67, but there are some folks in here in their 40s, which you might expect. 70% um, are ECOG zero, so fairly healthy patient population. Only 4% of the men in this study uh, were black, which is a huge disparity considering that, that African Americans, uh, you know, that, that race is a risk factor for, for prostate cancer. So huge disparity here, and I think it's pretty, would be fair, you know, if Darlutamide tried to get an approval for the upfront setting for the FDA say, you need to do a study uh, in, in our patient population that represents uh, what we see in America, which is not 4% uh, black patients with metastatic prostate cancer, much higher than that. Uh, now, as you would expect, 80% um, of these men have Gleason score eight or, or more aggressive prostate cancer. And when you look at the overall survival data, uh, you know, there's a pretty clear benefit, it appears, for darlutamide. Uh, hazard ratio of 0.68, which is very similar to the hazard ratio in the Enzymet study, which was 0.67 uh, compared to placebo. If you do a kind of a ballpark three-year landmark analysis of overall survival from what you can uh, tell from the Kaplan-Meier curve, and again, we're at 40 months of follow-up, so a three-year OS, you know, more than half the people will have gone three years on follow-up. 71% alive, it looks like, at three years with darlumide compared to 65% with placebo. So, you know, an absolute benefit of 6%, which is, which is pretty solid, right? Which is pretty solid here. Now, this is metastatic prostate cancer. You know, the, the median overall survival is not reached here, 
you know, because um, they, they tend to do pretty well, right? So this is like a marathon uh, with metastatic prostate cancer. Um, so it's really important to look at what happens after progression. So if we look at our subsequent, subsequent lines of treatment, and they say life-prolonging treatment, so this isn't like palliative radiation for bone mets. Uh, 76% of those in the placebo group had subsequent treatment. And again, in the PEACE-1 study, the numbers were 78 and 88%. So 76% is reasonable. And in the darolutamide group, 57%. And presumably, they're, they're not getting as much treatment because they have not progressed. Because there's also you know, radiographic and clinical progression benefit for darolutamide in this study. So if we look at our placebo group, what we would like to see is if they, they've already had darolutamide, um, maybe you'd like them to see abiraterone, although we have a pretty clear idea that abiraterone after an angin receptor inhibitor is probably not the best treatment. So probably what you'd love to see them get um, would be, uh, you know, um, you know, enzalutamide or darolutamide. Well, they couldn't get darolutamide, so none of them got darolutamide, or maybe cabazitaxel, okay? Um, now, they've already had docetaxel for six cycles, uh, and it might be fair to reintroduce docetaxel if they had, say, a two-year you know, interval or a long time uh, until recurrence, although I, you probably would favor cabazitaxel. So in our placebo group, you know, almost twice as many of them got abiraterone as enzalutamide. 47% got abiraterone, 28% got enzalutamide, only 18% got cabazitaxel, and then 18% more got docetaxel, despite already receiving docetaxel in the past. Now, if you compare that to the darolutamide population, 15% um, of these patients who progressed on darolutamide got enzalutamide. So the post-protocol therapy in both the placebo and, and darolutamide arm, not great. Not great, Bob. Um, and 18 or 36% got abiraterone after darolutamide. That's probably appropriate. Um, and the same percentage, 18%, got cabazitaxel as placebo. Now, you could make a good argument that, you know, maybe cabazitaxel should be what, what these folks should get. Um, uh, um, more of, uh, but you know, guys, guys really aren't keen on chemo sometimes, so I think that's okay. So while the post-protocol therapy is not great uh, in the placebo group, it's not great in the darolutamide group, so I think what we're seeing here, you know, is probably a meaningful benefit of darolutamide. Now, the people that make darolutamide, whoever they are, do make a pretty clear argument in the introduction that, um, that whoever wrote, the medical writers wrote, that darolutamide is more potent, it is less toxic, it probably is a better antiandrogen. If that is the case, I'd really like to see what happens if you give darolutamide upfront and then at progression instead of maybe these antiandrogens that, that the darolutamide people would say are not as good as our drug. So I think this suggests that darolutamide to me might be the better antiandrogen compared to enzalutamide compared to apalutamide, both from an efficacy standpoint, but a safety and drug-drug interaction potential as well. However, I'm not sure this answers the question that you need darolutamide up front along with docetaxel and that, um, and that it's better than if you waited and used darolutamide in the second line after progression after docetaxel uh, and your ADT. Um, because of some of the, the, the subpart of subsequent treatment uh, in this study. Uh, so that's that's Aerosins, okay? Um, the other two studies uh, that are smaller, not published yet, unlike Aerosins uh, from, from last week, uh, both concern the use of PARP inhibitors uh, in metastatic uh, castration-resistant prostate cancer. So the first one I'll talk about is Propel, which was Olaparib um, and Abiraterone versus Placebo and Abiraterone. So, so, so Olaparib and Abiraterone versus just 
abiraterone. So adding olaparib to uh, to the angiogen receptor pathway inhibitor abiraterone upfront. Now this was looking at at men uh, with uh, castration resistant prostate cancer. They've already progressed uh, after ADT. Um, uh, we don't necessarily know um, how many of them receive. I think they all receive. Yeah, they'd all receive docetaxel. It looks like this includes people with homologous recombinant repair mutations and those without. So it's looking at everybody. Now they don't, in the abstract, they don't tell you what some of these genes are that they're they're looking at, but they would include things like BRCA1, BRCA2, ATM, uh, uh, PALB2 those sort of genetic mutations. So they see a, a relapse-free survival that's significantly longer with Olaparib versus placebo. Uh, that hazard ratio is 0.66 with a fairly tight confidence interval of 0.54 to 0.81. Now, the benefit primarily was seen in those with uh, homologous uh, recombination repair mutations. Uh, you know, that hazard ratio was 0.84 compared to 0.86 without. And the confidence interval for those with um, without homologous recombination repair mutations went from 0.59 to 0.97, so almost got to that one. Um, they do state that there is a trend in overall surviving, favoring uh, olaparib kind of in, in all groups. If I were to guess, any overall survival that is confirmed with longer follow-up is probably only going to be limited to those with homologous recombination repair mutation. That's my, if I were a, if I were a betting man, that's where I would put my money. Uh, and the last study to talk about is magnitude, which was niraparib, uh, another PARP inhibitor, with abiraterone um, um, as first-line therapy compared to just abiraterone and those with uh, and without homologous recombination repair. Now, in, in this trial, the benefit was only seen in those with um, homologous repair um, recombination mutations, especially those. The benefit was especially greatest in those with BRCA1 and BRCA2 mutations. We've seen similar data to this uh, as well, that the BRCA1 mutations seem to be the ones that confer the greatest benefit to PARP inhibitors compared to other mutations in uh, homologous recombination repair or double-strand DNA repair breaks. So those are the, those are the updates for prostate cancer uh, for this week. Uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at FarmDeetNib. And you can follow the podcast on both um, Twitter and Instagram at OncoFarmPod. Until I talk to you again, remember, doses matter.